0: Welcome, glad you could make it.
1: Get your hands up, yeah.
0: This is the Love & Sex Unfiltered Podcast, hosted by Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist and Certified Gottman Method Couples Therapist, Sonia Jensen. Sonia is going to help you learn how to create chemistry, communication and intimacy in your relationships, not only with a partner or friend, but your relationship with you. Let's take this time together to learn about yourself, how to deepen your communication, get out of old patterns, and live your best, most fulfilling life.
2: So we were trying to decide on how to intro this. Okay, let's let's practice it.
0: Yo, 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 yo!
2: <laughs> I'm Sonia Jensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. <laughs> Does that sound stupid? Please Ophelia's going right <laughs> <laughs> Lila, Lila, I mean, Ophelia is laughing at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, we're going to send. We are talking about if your marriage is perfect, do you still need counseling or how do you help support your marriage, even if it's going well? Um, I think this will be a fun topic because. Like we were talking about in our intro podcast, most people don't go see a counselor unless things are super bad. Um, but I, I think my go-to is invest 12 hours a year into educating yourself on your relationship. So whether that's going to you know a conference or reading a book together or doing one hour a month with a counselor, that really makes sure you're staying intentional about your relationship because where couples go off, and it can be just this tiny little movement in the wrong direction and all of a sudden a year later, you don't even know how you got there. So intentionality is super important into making sure that you can maintain a long-term relationship and do it successfully. Because I don't know about you, when my husband and I are fighting like cats and dogs, everything else in my life starts to feel like it's falling apart. Like if something is not going well at home or you're feeling just like low-key disconnected, it can really change how you view yourself, how um, you go about you know, your working day with your confidence and different things like that. So I think 12 hours a year is the gold standard for educating yourself on your relationship. So if we were to just go to what the Gottman Institute puts together for couples based off of their 40 plus years of research of what every couple needs to know, they call it the sound relationship house. And the sound relationship house is when they studied all these couples over these years, they were like, okay, well, what couples are staying together and through the questionnaires and through watching them in the love lab, what are they doing differently um, when they're happy and they're still together than those people who are ultimately staying together, but they're not really happy or they're divorcing. And so we call that the masters and disasters of relationships. So from all that data, they put together the sound relationship house. And the sound relationship house, Um, Maybe one day if you go check out my website, you can see pictures of it, but the sound relationship house is broken up into three main components. One is called the friendship system of the house. The other one is called the conflict management. And then the roof of the house is what we call the meaning system. I don't care who you are and how wonderful your relationship is, if you don't know how to assess your relationship and you don't know what you're missing or what you're supposed to be looking for, one day you will get off track because that's just the nature of relationships. So let's start with the friendship system of the house. That is developed into four different stages. And so if you were looking at the model, the base foundation of a solid relationship is what we call love mapping. And love mapping is our fancy way of saying, how well do you know each other's inner world? And that's done in two specific ways. One, rituals of connection. That goes back to the intentionality piece. How are you moving through life on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis that showcases that you're prioritizing the relationship? Are you um, having meals together? Do you even touch each other every day? Do you remember to give each other a kiss? Do you remember to check in with each other? Do you go on dates? Those are what we call rituals of connection. And the second piece to love mapping is curiosity. For any long-term relationship, one of the first things that usually goes is curiosity. Because we kind of get into this habit and routine in our lives where we think we know and can anticipate what our partner's going to do, what they're going to say. And that, well, that's wonderful. And it's great to know somebody that intimately, it can cause a problem in conflict later on down the road because then you or your partner may feel pigeonholed into old narratives, right? Like what you did, you know, six months ago is still what you might do today, even though you feel like you've changed. And so I also think that it leads to a really kind of boring life if you feel like you know everything about each other. So really um, getting good at asking open-ended questions of your partner. And an open-ended question is, a question that cannot be answered with a yes or no, um, but that invites a story. So instead of asking my partner, you know, did you have a good day? I might say, tell me what was your day like? And I want to make sure that I'm really intentionally mapping out my partner's day-to-day experience and the things that they have told me. Like if I knew they had an upcoming presentation or a test, Like I want to be making sure I'm falling back up and asking about that because I've literally taken a map and I'm mapping out what their existence is like. And I'm showing interest and I'm showing curiosity and I'm asking them to explore that with me. You know, the second step is what we call uh, building fondness and admiration. And one of the big key indicators of how well um, a couple might maneuver through individual or marriage counseling is what they believe about each other to be true. So We all develop kind of negative narratives. That's just the name of the game, right? I might think, my partner never takes out the trash. She's so irresponsible, right? Or my wife doesn't find me attractive. She always turns me down every time I try to have sex. Those are negative narratives, right? Well, if I have that negative narrative, my brain isn't going to try to change that narrative for itself. It's going to confirm that narrative. So building fondness and admiration is really verbalizing the things we do see our partner doing well so that we can change our narratives to be more positive. Whatever we look for, we will find. So you really want to create this relationship where you're constantly verbalizing, I see you. Hey, this dinner is awesome. Here's a kiss on the cheek. Like, thanks for taking out the trash or folding the laundry or I love when you snuggle with me. Like just showcasing to your partner that you see them and that they're important. The third step to the friendship system is what we call turning towards versus turning away. All of us have needs. And in order to maintain healthy relationships, we have to be expressing those needs. So sometimes couples in long-term relationships will either, like if they've had issues with their partner or they don't feel like their needs are important, they'll start withholding them. So when I hear like a lot of male partners will tell me, well, I don't don't have any needs. I just, I just want to have sex every once in a while. Like you're not giving your partner an opportunity to build trust with you. When you are withholding needs, you're also withholding your partner's ability to showcase you that they want to turn towards that and they want to meet that need. And sometimes if needs have been gone unmet consistently, my needs might turn into criticisms. Like you never take me out on a date. I've asked you millions of times you know, to plan a date, right? Well, underneath that is that positive stated need of, I want to be important. I want to feel important. Can you plan that date for me, right? But when I come across as a criticism, more often than not, it's going to be met with defensiveness. And so how we state our needs and connecting to our own needs is a personal development process. And then
1: oftentimes, if this is a struggle for a couple, a therapist needs to be involved, Anyways, you should stress on the point of saying what your needs are. Yeah. Because we know as women, we don't always want to say what our needs are.
2: No, we don't. Because one, we're afraid of being too needy. Especially as women, after we have kids, we lose our sense of identity and our sense of self. So we stop asking for anything. More often than not, women will be the ones that will stop doing nice things for themselves, taking breaks when they need to and they don't really feel like a woman or a lover anymore they kind of just feel um like the person that does all the laundry and all the cooking and the cleaning and watching the kids and that will also lead to sexual issues in the future too speak to
1: on the male perspective of the clients that you have do you feel like men are also not addressing their needs in the relationship as well
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, I think when any couple ends up in counseling, there's some component of needs that's going unmet for both people. I will most of the time see men really just say, tell me what you want and I'll do it. Like, I want to be a problem solver, right? But when I ask them, what are your needs? I'll say, I'm simple. Um, I just want to have some fun and I want to have sex occasionally. That's all I want. And and needs are not that simple. And I can guarantee you that if you were in my office doing a needs based exercise, I'd find issues because for every person there's an issue with needs, but specifically for men, I have found personally that men will struggle to even identify that they have needs. Women might know that they have needs. Um, and think that it's okay to have needs but won't give themselves permission usually to ask for it and women are more likely to be critical when asking for a need at least in my experience the next component and final component of the friendship system is what we call the positive um, perspective and what that means is that uh, the researchers in the Gottman Institute found that for every one need that went unmet or any criticism, or maybe you failed to follow through on something in the relationship. You have to have five positive instances to overwhelm that one negative. So if you think of your relationship like a bank account balance, if I'm really good at asking those questions every day, and I give my husband um, a kiss before I leave for work and when I come home, he's made dinner and I say, gosh, thank you so much for dinner. And then at night, I know he loves to cuddle up next to me. So I do that. I'm putting deposits into that bank account balance all the time. But if I'm not being intentional with how I maneuver through life with my partner, I am more often than not taking um, debits away from that account. And so if you think of that five to one rule, I really have to create this culture in my relationship that showcases a it as a priority. Um, and if you don't, couples over time will get into what we call negative sentiment override. So, which means there's more negative things happening in the relationship than positive. And when that happens, a person or a couple who's in negative sentiment override will more likely skew even something their partner does as, if, even if it's indifferent or positive, I'm going to skew it as having negative intent. Right, so you will see partners fight in my office that will say something like, you know, I didn't mean it like that. My intention wasn't that way, but the other person is saying, yes, it was, and they pigeonholed them into that. That's negative sentiment override. So if I kind of give the analogy, like I talked about with the bank account balance, if you're negative $50,000, so you have $50,000 in debt, and you're really good at, say, putting $100 away a week, how long is it going to take you to pay off that $50,000? And a, a very very long time. a very long time. So couples can come into counseling and they have really good structure, and still two three months down the road get in a fight, and it's almost as like they start back at square one. I tell people you have to be really intentional about working through the whole friendship system of the house, the love mapping, the fondness and admiration, the turning towards versus turning away, consistently for about a year to get out
1: of negative sentiment over it. So you've put a year into it. Yeah. You're starting to track along. Yeah. You are turning towards. Yeah. And then you fight. Yeah. And it's a bad fight according to, you know, (laughs) whoever. Right. Whoever started it or however the fight came about. How much more is it going to take to start over
2: again? Well, it it depends, right? Um, If you're early on in counseling and you've been... Checking along, you might be able with the right interventions to heal and recover very quickly. And ultimately, when people go into couples counseling, usually it's because they stuck at communication and most counselors will go right to the communication issues instead of realizing that the friendship system is a mess. And what we know from the research is that couples who have a strong friendship system, those first four levels that I just talked about, they make faster repair attempts in conflict. So they might use humor. They might turn towards and say, oh, you know what, you're right, um, or I'm sorry about that. Um, so it's really important to balance out building the friendship system with the um, with conflict management tools. But one, it depends on how quickly you get intervention and how effective those interventions are, and if you're willing to utilize the tools you're being given. More often than not, when couples really start fighting, and I'll get into this with the conflict management part of the house, um, is they don't, they go into self protect mode. And once somebody goes into self protect mode, getting them out takes a little bit of time. So, in order to really answer your question, I'm gonna to move to the conflict management part of the house. So there's different components to managing healthy conflict. And the first one is having influence. Um, usually having influence looks like that's not how it was. This is how it was. And I, tar- I start to try to convince you of why you should only look at this situation through my lens. That's not healthy and positive influence positive influence is recognizing that there's two subjective realities to everyone's situation and they both have some validity. So really what I'm saying right there is that both people have to feel heard in order to hear. Um, And so you really slow everything down and help people move into a speaker listener role. And you have to learn what you do in each role to make it safe for that other person to share And once they've shared, you ask open-ended questions to really make sure you're building that love map. You're also showcasing some sort of empathy, like, oh, wow, that makes sense. Or I could see how you saw it that way. And then I summarize to showcase I've heard it the way you intended me to hear it. And then we flip roles. And usually that resolves conflict more often than not. People just want to be heard. The second part to managing conflict is that 70% of what couples argue about or roughly 70% is perpetual conflict, meaning you're a different person. I'm a different person. We have two different lived experiences. And so how I see and view things is going to be different from you. And if we don't navigate perpetual conflict well, and we don't really know what we're fighting for, because we're never really fighting about what we're fighting about. We're fighting for something. And you don't know what you're fighting for or your partner sure doesn't know what you're fighting for, right? And so you just go round and round in circles And what could have been something that's solvable. So say that other 30% of that conflict, everything becomes what we call a gridlock conflict. Meaning we don't hear each other, we move in circles or we avoid or we blow up. So it's teaching couples how to dialogue about issues in a healthy way instead of learning just to solve issues. Because there's gonna be a vast majority of things You can't solve, but you have to learn to compromise around. And healthy compromise is a whole different podcast on its on its own. So we'll make sure to write that down. There's four things that John Gottman found in his research that, if they are present in the dialogue, lead to very unstable communication patterns. We call those the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. That's criticism, defensiveness, contempt and stonewalling. So I call criticism the gateway drug. If I started with you, like you this, you that, right? Automatically, my partner's going to get defensive, right? And because they got defensive, now I'm really fucking pissed. Now I'm going to get louder and I'm going to get more aggressive to try to get my point across. And that comes down as contemptible. I would never... You're such an asshole, right? Um, and then usually my partner who got defensive might move into criticism. Well, you this and you that, and they might move to content. But ultimately, one or both people moves to what we call stonewalling. And stonewalling is where I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Like, thanks, that's awesome. And nobody gets anywhere. Uh, and then my favorite part of teaching couples in managing conflict is the concept of flooding. Flooding is that fight or flight response, Right. When my brain interprets a situation as not going in the direction that is safe or comfortable for me, it might sound the alarm to my sympathetic nervous system to start secreting adrenaline and cortisol. And when adrenaline and and cortisol is secreted, people lack the ability to practice empathy and retain information. So you can meet with couples and they can say, I don't even know what we were fighting about. That's because their brain didn't store any of that information. It just went into active fight or flight mode. So based off of childhood issues and how you reacted to conflict in the past might be the natural impulses that your brain uses when it's in that fight or flight response. You can also track this by looking at your heart rate. If you're an active exerciser, if your heart rate is over 80 beats per minute or more, your body's in active flooding. If you don't exercise that often, it's 100 beats per minute or more, especially ADD and different components like that. But couples should take at least a 20 minute Break from each other when flooding has started. There is nothing positive that's going to happen in your relationship and in your communication when vulnerable people are flooded. And it's interesting, there's this concept called mirroring where my sympathetic nervous system will talk to yours. So if one person's flooded, most likely the other person is going to flood as well. So active at 20 minutes minimum of active distraction and relaxation and we can do a whole podcast on how to actively distract (laughs) Um, and calm down Um, so managing conflict is obviously very tricky when you have to look for a lot of different components and again if i am not practicing engaging with your inner world i lack any respect for you and we really do a really poor job of talking about our needs the likelihood of you having any kind of compassion, empathy at all is going to be low. And that is going to directly impact how you're going to be able to maneuver through conflict. So like I said, if you're waiting seven or eight years and you've been having high conflict, or even if your relationship is good and you have relatively low conflict, are you making sure that you know the rules of fighting fair and making sure that both people feel respected? And last but not least in the sound relationship house is what we call the meaning system of the house. What does this relationship mean? More so than the piece of paper that you signed, what is it that you're building? And there's two components to that. One is, is my partner the person that celebrates me, that encourages me from my life dreams? And we talk about that. And, and I for them. And then two what is our shared dreams? What are we building together? What's our vision for our family, for our marriage, for our community? What's the legacy that we are building? So no matter who you are and in what stage of your relationship in, knowing how to assess different components of your relationship that could get better or acknowledging the parts that are good and how to keep them going well. Um, that's no matter where you're at, you can benefit from a really good relationship counselor to assess those things in your relationship.
1: Give me some takeaways from the relationship health that I can do right now in my marriage.
2: Right now in your marriage, one of the most important things to do is a 20 minute check-in every night. We call that the stress reducing conversation that our research showcases that couples who where both partners work are away from each other all day and have children spend an average of 20 minutes a week talking to each other. And of that 20 minutes, the majority of it is household related issues. So just slowing down and taking 20 minutes, just, just check in, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking. Stay away from all problem solving and just focus on listening and asking really good questions. That's, that's going to be a huge benefit to your relationship. And also what I love is what we call the six second kiss and embrace John Gottman found that couples who spend an average of six seconds really kissing and holding each other, that gives their body enough time to build in oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. So I I, I usually put a ritual in before you leave and when you come home. So I always say the person who is leaving initiates that goodbye kiss, and the person who is already at home at night initiates the hello kiss and embrace. Just doing those two simple things can really be a huge benefit.
0: For your relationship and then anytime you can tell your partner that you appreciate them thank you there you have it if this episode hit home for you take a second to share it with a friend screenshot it and share it on instagram or leave a five-star review on apple podcasts If you want to learn more tips and stay connected with Sonia, follow her on Instagram at @thesonya_jensen. And if you want to find more information, you can check out her website at www.sonya_jensen.com. Until next time, remember, stay real, stay unfiltered, and dig deep.